0: The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in December 2006.
1: Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway.
0: And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we welcome Daphne Rubin-Vega. Hi,
1: Daphne.
2: Hi, how are you?
1: Good. Just a couple of quick credits. We certainly know you from your work in Rent about a decade ago, the original <laughs> cast of Rent, which is still running on Broadway. In between, you've done other shows like Bernarda Alba very recently off-Broadway, Anna in the Tropics. You received Tony nominations for both Anna in the Tropics and for Rent, the Rocky Horror Show revival of that, and now playing Fantine in La Miserable on Broadway. Yes. Back on Broadway again.
2: Back on Broadway.
1: How's it feel to be back on Broadway playing Fantine?
2: Um... It feels it feels fantastic to be back on Broadway. I think it's a very embracing community, and um, it's good work when you can get it. Um, Fantine is a, is a wonderful role. She's, you know, she's a bit of a quandary to me because um, for me, the, the music of Les Miserables is, is Les Miserables is. Um, on the classical side, uh-huh. at this point, of of my spectrum of work.
1: As opposed to rock, like Rent.
2: As opposed to ro- Rent, Rocky Horror. Um,
1: yeah, or anything else. Yeah, yeah I mean, done. you know,
2: um, Bernarda Alba was, was Michael John Lachusa. Uh, Lacusa, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, But I wouldn't call it extremely... Uh, classical so, so what was
0: your reaction when you got a call saying we'd like to you like you to come in for lame is
2: I love to be challenged by stuff like that and I think that I dreamed a dream i I always was thrilled by the possibility of, of singing that song and, and owning it and and also um, playing Fontaine, which is uh, a very a beautiful character, which has um, nuances of of other characters that I've played, but more grown up, let's say, and more um, you know, maybe the word is overused, but classical in the sense that she is uh, a, a a product of Victor Hugo's um, you know French sort of history novel. Um, How well, do you relate it to
0: other parts you've played? Yeah, tell, talk about that.
2: Well, she is a good girl gone bad, to say, to to put it quickly. Um, she is uh, a, an orphan. She's raised on the streets, but she does her best to keep her integrity, her dignity. She tries to get a job. She does get a job. She falls in love with an aristocrat who dumps her and leaves her pregnant. And that, that kind of uh, creates a situation that snowballs into her demise where she... Um, sells her most precious possession being a locket her hair her teeth which is omitted from the uh, musical and then she sells her body which is um not something that Mimi Marquez did in Rent but she was an exotic dancer um so you know there's always some thread of sexuality I think in a lot of these roles even if it's you know Martirio and Bernarda Alba that um you know, is thoroughly sexless, but still obsessed with it. There's always some. Well,
1: um, F- uh, Fantine is a mother who would do anything to protect her correct. child. You have a two year old son. Yes. As a mother, how do you relate to Fantine? Does that help you relate to the character?
2: Yeah, I think motherhood has, um, you know, helped me reach that uh, um, hard to articulate place that you would do anything for your child. I mean, I think intellectually we all know that, you know, our our hormones, our bodies do stuff when we have children, but to actually experience that is mm-hmm. is something that uh, it's good education.
1: Now you you mentioned Victor Hugo who, who wrote uh, Les Mise. Yes. Have you have you read the the novel itself? <laughs> Which is pretty long. I read long. some <laughs> of it. It's
2: yeah. fourteen hundred and sixty three <laughs> pages. I'm not going to lie to you. I uh, I read the part I needed to read and maybe a little bit more. Yeah. The the first book is called Fantine. So, Uh Uh um, I certainly read that and a little bit more. Um, he, he loves to, to, digress into minutia, which is not really minutia. It's French history. I think he was the first to actually chronicle the history of the French Revolution. So for that, it's a, it's a masterpiece for many things. He, uh-huh. he didn't write Les Mis, he wrote Les Miserables. Right. I, I always <laughs> um, try to point that out because Les Miserables is actually a bit different from uh, Les Mis, but um, it's just longer.
1: But I would imagine that helped you understand Fantine's backstory even more about the character. You know, interestingly
2: plane. enough, some, somewhat. I thought it would. I always, you know, I read Anna Karenina when I did Anna in the Tropics, and uh, yeah, that, that was helpful. But I think, you know, Les Miserables, the, Les Mis, is is more than just a musical. It's a part of, uh, it's a cornerstone of musical theater culture. And, um, and there are some hardcore uh Les Mis fans out there, so you know, to mess with, to to futz with um, Les Mis can be um, not a very welcome thing. And I think that just having read it, um, I had my own very strong ideas. And um, so some of them were used. Some of them weren't.
1: And I would imagine many people coming into the theater have certain expectations. Either they've seen the show in the past in New York or elsewhere. Yes. They come in expecting your character to be a certain way, portrayed a certain way. Yes. What, what, how, do, how do you deal with that? Or do you, do you act it the way you want to act it? Or do you have to re- You know, I had a little bit expectations?
2: of... I, I, um, I tried to, you know, be obedient and do what I was told as far as, you know, the director and, and, um, and the writers. But when I got, um, my blessing from Claude-Michel Schoenberg and Alain Boulbil who wrote the thing, and John Caird and Cameron Mackintosh, let's not forget, um, then I felt that I had permission to, to do what, what I wanted once they approved, but, um, you know, it's always this thing that happens after opening night. Whether you read the reviews or not, you mm-hmm. kind of smell the energy around. I think I got a little um, shaken up, but now I don't give a shit. I'm totally, <laughs> thoroughly happy. Well, when you when we
1: read the reviews, then, does that change your performance? I subsequently? don't read
2: reviews. I, but my husband is just a total uh-huh. review-reading man, so...
1: And people talk to you people differently talk. if they've read them.
2: Yeah, they'll say, fuck The Post, go do what you got to
0: do. <laughs> <like that. laughs> let, me, let me ask, I want to confront something. You know, there are those who say, you know, that this is, it was too soon for Les Mis to come back. And John sort of touched on this with his questions. But as you rehearsed the show, mm-hmm. how much latitude did you all have to interpret things differently? And how much was it about hitting those marks that people expect the show to hit?
2: I um, ignorance is bliss for me because I hadn't really I was not very well versed in the show so I went in there feeling like what I was doing was um, welcome um, you know barring the come in from this side and you know not that side as far as musically. Um, there was There was a requirement to hit the notes there 's no you know riffing around or trying to you know carry on with with the notes there 's a, a an adherence to to the music that was written and i um, I respect and value that i, I that 's part of what I wanted to do i didn 't want to go and do a rock and roll version of fantine i um, I went in there, yes, so so within reason, there 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 was stuff. Although I, I do think that, you know, instead of maybe blue, uh, I'm wearing green. So a lot of things weren't completely reinterpreted or re, um, more revisited than re-conceptualized. Um, but I think that my involvement in, in, in the play is a reconceptualization of Fontaine. Sometimes I feel very lonely there.
1: Well, you, you have to yeah. sing the notes as written. But yeah. do you get to have any any leeway with them as written? In other words, could you yes. interpret it a certain way?
2: I I think that I do because uh, I I actually saw some footage of of um, of another Fontaine very very recently ago and I thought wow that is so not what I do and I'm uh-huh. not going to worry about um, justifying what I do or not.
0: I don't want to gloss over. You just made a comment about feeling lonely there sometimes. <laughs> what does that mean? Why do you sometimes feel lonely? <laughs>
2: Um, well, because I mean, truthfully, the loneliness about it is um, sometimes just the, um, the 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 way the show is set up. Fontaine is sort of in and out of the action, and and then once she's out, it's kind of isolating. Although you know, I think it's it's well known that I do come back as a barricade. Well, no, I come back as a street urchin actually now. But, uh, so, so, it, I think just, just physically within the theater, there's a lot of, of time and space where I'm not around a whole lot of other people and there's 30 something other folks in the show. So it's, it's very isolating and you're
0: backstage finishing the novel
2: (laughs) 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 yeah or playing Tetris or something (laughs) silly um no actually I I never do that I'm a professional I stay involved with the show um but yeah I guess yeah there's there's a sense of of isolation that's Mm. kind of strange within the show I'd really like to hang out and party with the the crew and cast but everyone's just exhausted after a three hour show and you gotta save your voice
1: how, how did you get the role in the first place? Had, you had seen the show during its original run, I presume.
2: Yeah, I have to confess. I thought, I saw it like about three or four weeks before it closed. Uh-huh. And uh, for some reason, I, I forget now. We were <laughs> late. So, um, you know, that, that kind of frenzied Just, feeling that you get to a theater and they don't let you in until after, I guess, the, um, the first chain gang scene. I don't remember. Um, I... So I, I was kind of not really present while I was watching it, which gave me permission to sort of think that I'd never seen it before. The music is masterful. Um, what else did you ask uh, me? How,
1: how you <laughs> actually got the role?
2: Oh, um, I auditioned just, you know, like anybody else. I think the, um, advantage that I had was being at a party at the rent 10, um, reunion and, uh.
1: John the uh, the uh, ten-year, was there. the ten-year anniversary. The, yeah, the yep. ten-year yep.
2: anniversary of yep. Rent's yep. inception on Broadway, and um, the director John Caird of Les Miserables was there, and. Um he says that he thought I'd make a great Fontaine. I remember being introduced to him by one of the producers of Rent, and the producer saying, "Wouldn't she make a great Fontaine?"
1: Uh-huh. Had sorry. I
2: known, I would have I would have gone for Eponine because that's a really. Good <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so, so it kind of put the idea in, into your mind at that point.
2: Yeah, I thought uh-huh. it's so kind of uh, um, incongruous. I mean, it was just such a, a, a spontaneous uh-huh. thought that had never entered my mind. Um, I thought, yeah, Fontaine. Wow, you know. The clothes, the majesty, the song, and then I kind of got hooked.
0: Hmm. Well, you've already spoken about the idea of people think of you more as a rock and roll singer, and of course here you are in this show that you keep referring to as classical. But let's jump back, because even long before Rent, you went to the High School of Performing Arts here in New York. So what was your training because you did you're not just somebody who came out of the east village as a rock singer who got put in shows your training was theater
2: well actually my training isn't theater because i i was in performing arts when it was affiliated with music and oh. art and i wanted to be an artist you know i mean the musical part was okay. just wanting to um you know, be in my brother's band and, and get attention, because everybody got attention in my brother's band. So, you know, all the girls would come to my house after school. I thought, wow, that's because I'm popular. I'm in the <laughs> seventh grade, and it was because they wanted to see my brothers in the band. <laughs> so I would snatch the microphone and, and try to get attention that way. That's where the musical stuff came. But
1: but you were studying to be, like, a painter or I wanted artist? to be a painter. Really? I
2: wow. wanted to be like, you know, Chagall. Hmm. I had no idea. Um, although, you know... Uh, my mother and uh, you know before she passed away, and my father would play the piano. Um, we listened to a lot of classical music, and you know I, I can look back and and remember my mother um, having us read. Man and Superman by George Bernard Shaw. I, uh-huh. I think this is hysterical because I thought it, I, I was like, when is Superman gonna come out? <laughs> and I think that she knew that that's what I thought, so she kept, you know, like weaning it in because we were like, okay, we'll. Read but now. when you couldn't
1: find anything about Kryptonite, you knew you were <laughs> kind of. In the it wrong, took me a while. Show. She was. She was kind of crafty.
2: She was like, keep reading, you'll be there. <laughs>
0: So so some grounding from your mother you were around people at this school so how yeah. did the transition when did you transition from music into theater
2: Oh god when how I, I I used to roller skate with a really uh, good friend of mine who whose sister is 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 a famous fantastic singer um, shaka Khan and he, we would roller skate together and he would just sing because the radio 'd be on and um, and i 'd sing with him and He was like the first person who actually encouraged me to continue to sing I, I would always be quiet
1: and, and uh, how old were you at this point
2: I was like seventeen uh-huh. um, and uh, he he had a band, and they they made a record. And I, uh, the first thing I ever did was sing background on that record. And little by little, I, I sort of justified my singing because he liked it, and I really respected and loved him. Um, so, so, you know, I, you know, then you know, the story that that's become a big story is that uh, Arif Martin actually was producing. Um, the soundtrack to a film called Labyrinth that David Bowie was the Jim Henson the Jim film. Henson yeah. film with the Muppets and stuff. And uh, Shaka was actually singing background in that with a whole bunch of other fantastic people like Luther Vandross and Sissy Houston and people who I thought were just, you know, you know, untouchably good. And, uh, my friend invited me there to this session because his sister was singing and I, begged (laughs) Arif Martin to let me sing. I didn't want money. I didn't want anything. I just wanted to be in that room with those people. And he let me. And of course, ten years later, I think it was ten years later, he produced the soundtrack to Rent. Hmm. So, uh, it's a kind of divine
0: little... But where do you go from singing on that soundtrack yeah. into theater? Yeah, is, exactly. Where's the, where's the way in
2: for it? I, I don't know. I think I, I'm, I'm ridiculously lucky with that. But the the way in was that I, I put all these people's name on my resume, and I got a job in a girl group called Pajama Party, where I met my my now sister-in-law, who is a member of the band. and. Um, she introduced me to her brother. I thought he was cute. She said, ugh, and then we waited like another eight years to start dating. But, um, <laughs> but now he's my baby's father, and uh, we're married. And um, I became a member of this group, Pajama Party. We did two albums on Atlantic Records. We had one, you know, marginal hit called Yo No Se, paid the rent for a while, and that... That made, that, that helped me make the decision actually that I wanted to write music and, and, and be a singer. I totally got bitten with that bug. As far as the music, the theater rather, happened, I, I think I, I wanted to act and I was just auditioning all the time. So um, and being bad, really, really bad before I was good. I mean, it really was not about training. I started to train, you know, at Bill Esper Studios later because I wanted to. Um, but um, it well, was a series of happy accidents that got me into into rent. But I
1: guess at least I was prepared. What, what sort of accidents? Happy I ones. was in
2: this really lousy Latino comedy troupe um, that was paying like fifteen dollars a. a A week Mm -hmm. for like one show where I told really bad jokes and, um, you know, dressed in as little as possible. And um, I had a beeper then, you know, it was the
1: early 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Before cell phones. Before cell phones, it it was my beeper. (laughs) And my
2: agent called me on my beeper and said, I have this audition for you for this rock opera called Rant. The rock made me kind of, you know, excited. The opera was very frightening um part and uh i think I, I you know of course i got i got completely uh, taken in when she said that it was based on la bohème and Mimi was um you know a uh, Sex club dancer with AIDS hmm. <laughs> that who lived on the Lower East Side. So I was like, you know, that's exciting. Like,
1: kind of, kind of interesting. It's uh, very yeah.
2: interesting. I used to hang out on the Lower East Side. Uh-huh. It was my neighborhood. I mean, I grew up in the West Village, but it was a, a world that was um, somewhat familiar. It wasn't like coming into musical theater and trying to do. Um, sweet Charity, really, or, or you know, The Sound of Music.
1: Well, you, you were growing up in New York. It wasn't like you came from another area and moved into New York. You you, you kind of had the feel of New York in your blood at that. Point.
2: I had the feeling of New York in my blood, but I was born in Panama. So right,
1: but but you grew up here. Yeah, right? I grew up here. Yeah, yeah. So you grew up as, as a New Yorker. Yes, you had had that sensibility. Full that,
2: on New Yorker. Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah. So you, you you got the role in Rent, obviously, yes. isn't as but w- Mimi.
0: But we should say, you know, for those who who may not even remember, it's not that Rent fr- sprang to life full. Blown as a smash Broadway musical, no. Jonathan Larson did not have a major track record. It was it I think there were seven some,
2: years to make it.
0: There was you know some workshops and it started on the you know somewhat lower east side New York theater workshop. Yeah. this was a this was a small off Broadway production.
2: Correct. It's there were there were a couple of workshops before it incarnated into the workshop that became the uh, the Broadway show. But um, yeah, there were. I did one workshop prior, uh, so I did two workshops before um, it went to Broadway with Rent. Um, So, yeah, and and I thought that before, when we had finished the first workshop, um, I was so, I fell in love with this world. I fell in love with the musical theater that Rent was. I thought, you know, I might not be a big old fan of, of musical theater per se, but this really speaks to me. and. And I love it, and I really need to be a part of this, you know. And they were like, well, you know, just be good and audition for the next w- go-around. Um, there was the ballad Without You, um, which actually in the, in, in the original workshop belonged, like belonged to uh, Maureen and Joanne and Mark, the characters. And then uh, Jonathan switched it to Roger and Mimi. It seemed more appropriate. So... Um, for the audition the second time around it was like well we want you to sing this ballad and you know no pressure just make me cry this way. <laughs> no Jon- pressure yeah Jonathan would say that to me and I would get really nervous and I think um, you know aside from my friend Mark with you know encouraging me to sing Jonathan really <clears throat> um, loved my voice and uh, he, he would he would constantly tell me that and so I think that he buoyed me up while I uh, you know and and uh, so yeah. I, I took my confidence from him.
1: Well, I have an idea. Since okay. you bring up the song Without You, why don't we let you and your performance speak for itself and listen to the song?
2: Oh, dear. Okay.
1: Without You from Rent, Daphne Rubin-Vega, our guest today on Downstage Center. The story of Jonathan Larson passing away just before the opening of the show is, is quite well known. At, at what point... Um, do you think he knew that he was going to have a success? He didn't live to see the reviews. Obviously, didn't live to see the ten-year run. Do you think he felt th- the show was going to be successful at, at some point? <laughs> yeah, Dur-
2: yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, there is no way of knowing. But he had, um, you know, I want to say ego, but it was ego and spirit combined. I mean, he would, he would, he would. There were stories of friends of, of his have told us that you know they'd break, <laughs> they'd walk into a theater that was empty and say one of these days I'm I'm gonna fill this theater, and um, you know saying things that he couldn't have possibly known like I am the future of musical theater. He would say grandiose things like that, and you know you'd think he's a nut, except that it happened, it came to pass, and um, I I just remember in my experience. Um, Watching him, Michael Greif, Tim Weil, the creatives of of, of the musical um, and Jim Nicola uh, <clears throat> at Music uh, New York Theatre Workshop negotiate, argue, debate, fight uh, over, you know, they never fought crazy, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, have, have issues with stuff in the show. And, um, and he was very, very, he felt very, very strongly. But little by little, you'd see how he would collaborate, he would listen, and he would sort of, Step back and and let other people in, and I think that um, he only would do that by knowing that it was going to be a better piece.
1: So. And what what effect did his death have on you and the rest of the cast?
2: This oh God, I, you know, it, it's, it's hard to describe. I think that it it made us much more um, uh, committed to. You know, Rent was more than just this little skit we were doing, and you know, getting paid mm-hmm. nothing to do. It was. Um, it was a a, a crusade. Mm. You know, it really was. We were, commi- we were like ambassadors of this new show and we were going to infect the world with this virus called rent. Well, <laughs> In a the, positive way, of course.
0: The lightning did strike. I mean, it was one yeah. of those amazing moments where suddenly this show was the smash, must-see show, first downtown and then again on Broadway. What... Opportunities did it open for you as a performer?
2: Um, I, I got a record deal. Uh, I got signed by the president of Mercury at the time. I, I did a couple of films. I um, I paid my rent for real. Mm-hmm. Um, I could uh, buy things. I could. I, I was given things that I could never afford before. Um, it, it was a little bit like you know, having your head handed to you in a certain way and and um, kind of confusing. But opportunities, I mean, you know, how they say in the theater, you know, you go in a chorus, girl, you come out a name. I came out a name, <laughs> you know.
0: Well, Three names. <laughs> <laughs> Hyphenated. <laughs> um, w- it's interesting to me that you talked about the fact that you, you came in through music, you were really doing rock and roll you got into certainly a rock opera but one of the opportunities that opened for you was also the opportunity to do dramatic work yes. and we look at your resume and see plays by Nilo Cruz and Susan Laurie Parks again
2: Pulitzer Prize did, winners as well how did mm-hmm. that
0: transition happen for you because it's one thing to be working in a musical idiom which is what you'd grown up in yeah. how did you make the transition into into dramatic work
2: um, I, I I I think I worked relatively hard. Um, you know, it's it's like all my life going, you know, look at me, look at me, pay attention to me, and then everybody pays attention. You're like, okay, well, what am I going to say? Um, that kind of was the experience with my my music. It was like, okay, I, I'm going to say what I want. But um, as far as as literature and plays. Um, I, it was something that I really wanted to to do and to be a part of and, and be taken very seriously as. So I, I don't know, I worked at it. <laughs> I, I studied, I tried to, you know, um, be a good actor, I, you know, tell the truth. I mean, I think that that theater, musical theater specifically, uh, particularly, but um, the media, the medium of, of, of theater is... Um, it's not realistic. People don't, you know, uh, stand up and deliver stuff with lights on them, I think. It's the truthfulness that you um, imbue characters and stories with. And I've always been, um, you know, mesmerized, uh, uh, committed to wanting to do that. I don't you know, As far as I can remember, I think that I thought everybody wanted to do that. The moment, you know, my art teacher told me that, you know, successful painters die before they get you know successful i think i decided to do something else while i was alive i didn't want to die um.
0: and in particular it's it's remarkable to me that here you are you're now in a big broadway musical <laughs> and you're already taking time off to go do a play downtown yeah can you talk a little about about that project and why you would say to the people of lame is sure i'll do your show but you've got to give me a couple of months so so i can go work with labyrinth
2: Well, because um, I I only did that because I've been a member of the Labyrinth Theatre Company since 1992. It started out as like a Latino uh, theatre company that has then since obviously expanded to, you know, all writers, actors of all races, um, directors as well. And um, it's a a company that I, I love, I'm committed to, and I have never done a show With the Labyrinth Theater Group proper. I've done shows with John Ortiz, who played my husband in Anne in the Tropics, and Vanessa Espillaga, who is also in in the show. But um, this is the first time that it's a Labyrinth project that we're doing together. It's a four hander. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in it, um, who just won the Oscar. So we're all very thrilled to be. Playing and working together, it's a piece written by Bob Glaudini, another member of the lab and and um lastly but not leastly um i I was offered to do it before I was offered Les Mis. so um i I wasn't gonna give that up you were already committed I committed
1: yeah I'm committed fully committed and and when do we expect to see you in that next spring, is it
2: yeah. You know, it's uh like March, it, April, Yeah, that ring. early, early two thousand seven.
0: Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, in talking about some of these dramatic pieces, we've we've jumped over specifically with Labyrinth to the, your next project. Um, you returned to Broadway. Uh, did I say it was
2: called Jack Goes Boating? I don't know that we did. No, it's called Jack Goes Boating.
0: <laughs> um, we d- jumped over your return to Broadway musicals with Rocky Horror. Yeah. <laughs> And, again, interestingly, when we were talking about Les Mis, you know, there's a show that's iconic. God knows, going into Rocky Horror, which is etched in people's brains, although, truthfully, from the film, not from the stage productions. Correct. That that must have been something. What what was it like going into a show truly with, with, perhaps we could say, crazed diehard fans?
2: (laughs) That's like a culty cult. Um, It was like theater anarchy. It was a lot of fun because the cast was just stellar is you know in my opinion Joan Jett was my dressing roommate I mean Mm. I I credit her to having me start a band she was just like get up off your ass and do it Um, Alice Ripley, Leah DeLaria Dick Cavett Tom Hewitt played Frankenfurter, Raul Esparza was brother riffraff Jared Emick oh god it was just I know I'm missing people I mean just the ensemble was fantastic Everybody, I know I'm missing names,
0: but in that process, were you able to reinvent that show?
2: Um, yeah, I I reinvent. Um, I, I would, I would think so. I think Christopher Ashley did a great job at at um, reinventing it. I don't think it had anything sort of looking like any other incarnations. We completely embraced the screaming at at the characters, you know, they'd call Brad, uh, you know, Brad asshole and Janet slut. And, you know, we, we, I call it theater anarchy because while you're saying your lines, the, the, um, the audience is not only permitted, but encouraged to, talk at you between you and reinterpret things that you're saying throw you off your course and we had to stay on a steady beam I mean with very few exceptions I think Dick Cavett talked back to people um Tom Hewitt definitely talked back to people but certain people had permission others didn't of course you know people went and spoke to you know the audience anyway through toast back at them and toilet paper (laughs) but uh yeah, it was, it was... Am I answering your But it was participatory question?
0: theater. Well, it did. I mean, it's participatory theater in a different way. Yeah, yeah, it was
2: interactive. You know, this scene would happen. They'd put their newspapers up and all scream together. Um, so it was wonderful interactive te- um, uh, theater.
1: Was there any any one particular performance where something unpredictable happened with the audience and the you up on stage or sort of thing? Anything that Well, a couple, you I mean...
2: One time, Rocky, um, you know, he descends on this fantastic machine and, you know, this apparatus that was very fancy and, um, you know, contraption really. And the contraption, like, fell off its winch and so we Uh had to... (laughs) We didn't stop the show, but it was, you know, clearly there was a little bit of a...
1: Uh, How about anything with the audience itself, getting a little bit too wild or anything strange ever the, happened?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, they would, they would piss you off a little bit because <laughs> they would get a little out of control, but you had to just keep going. I mean, so, that happened a lot. Dick Cavett would talk, talk, talk for 45 minutes, and I'd be like, come on, we have to pay the union extra if you keep talking, and he would just keep talking. But I think that, you know, the most the thing that really comes to mind is that we were doing Rocky Horror, um, during September 11th, 2001. And Mm -hmm. just the, um, the impact of, of that experience, that, that time, um, on us, on everyone, you know, New York city, the biggest city in the world became a very, very small town. And, Mm -hmm. and we were all very, um, intimate and, and, um, terrified, you know, and it was like, you know, go to the theater, and we didn't know what to expect, you know, being underground there, and and every word, every nuance of the show took on another meaning, everything took on another meaning, even being extraterrestrials and like, you know, zapping Frankenfurter was laden with this other color of um, serious drama,
1: mm.
2: <laughs> um, so that's that's what really comes to mind.
1: So then you as a performer the first performance after nine eleven happened, how do you then go back on stage? How do you then get yourself emotionally equipped to perform in front of an audience? Was, um, was that difficult?
2: Yeah, it was difficult, but, you know, you're not the only one doing it. You're there well, with... Yeah, yeah. You're, you're committed with another group of actors, and the audience that would show up, you know, you're doing it for them. I mean, if a person comes after, you know, September 12th and, and comes to see a show, you're going to do it for them. I think, you know, that's what separates some performers from others, or... You know, I, it, I, it's hard to explain. I mean, of course, it went from, you know, n- capacity of 90 to 2. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then everything shut down. But then, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't even know what to say about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We spoke at the very beginning. You mentioned your work with, with Michael John LeCuse on Bernarda Alba. Mm-hmm. And that, again, stylistically... A very different piece, and mm-hmm. interestingly enough, uh, it was an all-female cast. Certainly, a famous play in uh, in Spanish literature. Um, there was non traditional casting in that show you were traditional casting, but what was it like working in that cast um, of all of those women of very diverse experiences and backgrounds? I say you know you were traditional casting because there's 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 yeah. lat- you are a latina, others of the performers were not yet you were all in that same material yeah. but what was what was it like working in that well, ensemble
2: I had the greatest time i I loved. Each and every woman, I mean, Sandra Santiago, who um, played my oldest sister, Angustias, is, you know, another Latina, just, you know, loved her. Felicia Rashad, you know, African-American woman, played Bernarda. Sally Murphy, you know, Irish girl with a lyric soprano voice, was one of the sisters, you know. Um, Amelia, the sweet... Sweet Amelia, um, Nikki James was, you know, the littlest sister Adela. She's, you know, African American. Our grandmother was is from Sri Lanka. Um,
1: Judy Blazer. Judy was
2: Blazer. Yeah. I mean, come on, she played a sister as well. Who were the? Yeah, um, Sandra Santiago, Judy Blazer, Sally Murphy, Nikki James, and I. So, mm. um, and um, just. Working with Michael John and Graciela Danielle um, is just, you know, <laughs> working with, like, you know, a wonderfully creative, albeit dysfunctional, but loving, lovable family, you know, um, and, uh, and uh, I think that um, both Graciela and Michael John's, for lack of a better word, shamelessness um, in terms of their their commitment to individuality is um is was just you know water i always want to swim in uh, as a, as an artist i i always wanted to do lorca and I, I found it very interesting that i did this musical um playing martirio um who to me was very um unlike any other character that i had ever played and you know she was it was really the first project that i did after my baby so um so I, I found it very challenging and, and wonderfully fun. Wonderful. T-
1: talking about your baby, Luca is his name. Yes. He's two years old. Yeah. During um your pregnancy with him and then when he was young, you were writing songs at that point, were you not?
2: Yeah, I um I had written a couple of the songs from my album and uh and then there were other ones that his 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 being in my belly kind of inspired definitely.
1: Maybe we should play one from your album. We should we should talk about the album because okay. it's it just recently was released back in October on mm-hmm. uh, Shikaboom Records, is it? Correct. Yeah, um, Sugar
2: is actually the 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 release Ghost Light. company. Yeah,
1: yeah, Ghostlight Records and Sugar Kurt Deutsch's company. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, it's a bunch of songs on it. There's one that's even named for your son.
2: Yes, it's called Luca Ariel. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, i think uh i i just you know wrote off the top of my head like what was going inside my body and um and and how excited I was and that um and nervous you know it's just i think I think it's natural for somebody to wanna you know express literally articulate this experience that's some somewhat greater than oneself um i sure did i i I just wanted to put him in a song.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, why don't don't we play the song and tell us what we should be listening for and Luca Ariel.
2: Ariel Luca Ariel. Um well he does he does his first um his first recording. He's six months at the time, five or six months. Um you can hear him singing. <laughs> um and the most amazing tabla drums. I don't know why, I heard I heard tabla drums and I and I went out and I found them this wonderful performer named Deep Singh is on tablas and um and uh, that's all I wanna say about that, yeah.
1: I don't think, um, Daphne, I don't think we mentioned the name of your album. It's called Redemption Songs. Yes. We did mention Shikaboom. We did mention some of the... What are, what are some of the other songs that you wrote on the album?
2: I wrote Citizens of the World, which is the first track, which is a seven-minute track, me trying to... Um, just... Uh, it's really, it started out as a love song, laundry list. Um, and, uh, and I also wanted to pay homage to all the kind of music that I loved, and the whole album. That's why I think... Um, It's hard to describe the album um, in total, but Redemption Songs uh, is the Bob Marley song um, that I cover, and I thought it was a good title to articulate the the album, because for me, it was was kind of like a snapshot of of songs that um, represented my life at that time, you know, so Redemption Songs...
1: Great. Well, Shookaboon Records, you can buy it online. You buy it in record stores. We also touched earlier on your show Jack Goes Boating, which will be sometime early spring. 2007, opening. yes, at yeah. the Public Theater. Anything else on the horizon for you? Anything else you want to do in the near future?
2: Um, just, you know, I, I love my band. I love playing with my band. Um, uh, let's see. I'll probably go to L.A. at some point next year once... Uh, you know, to just check it out a little bit, but you know, th- New York is home. Mm-hmm. I I I'm a little strange about going to LA and looking for work. I I like working at home, although I do want to do more um, films with Film work. certain yeah. people. Yeah, but. Uh, nothing no i i like my life actually isn't that strange
1: <laughs> unfortunately timing wise you missed out on rent because you were pregnant at the time
2: yeah i mean i think being pregnant was the best it was, excuse was more
1: important yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely was more important thank yeah. god um but uh but yeah i uh i did miss that regrettably but my friends were in it so and rosario dawson did a fantastic job i have to say for the record
1: Well, you're doing a fantastic job right now in La Miserable. Thank you. La Miz, as we call it in the vernacular. (laughs)
2: La Miz. And
1: Daphne, Daphne Rubin-Vega, thanks so much for being with us now on Downstate Center. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Daphne. For the
0: American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org
1: And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you.